0: I'm reminded that as we, as we have this uh, unique, wonderful opportunity to partner with you and seeing each other and knowing each other and loving each other. We first were seen, known, and loved by you. You see us. You came to be with us. You know us because you shared the same life that we live. All the things that we live through, the highs and the lows and the good and the bad. You know all those things. And then you died for us. So I us pray this morning that we would feel seen and known by you. We feel loved by you so that at the end of this day, we go back out into your world to share those kinds of things with other people. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen amen you can have a seat i'm asked lindy to come on up i'm losing all my papers oh and almost tripped Last week, we invited you all to come and, and read the word for us to start your service. And so we're, we're starting that this week. And so Lindy's going to read for us. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good morning. Um, as Clayton said, I am Lindy DeVries, and I will be reading the passage for this morning. Um, we're going to start in John 14, 4 through 10. For you know the way to the place where I am going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Um, Now we're going to go to Luke, and here we're going to be Luke 15, starting in verse 11. So it'll be the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between him. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and while living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
0: People of God, it's the word of God. Thanks, Cindy. All right, so we're starting a new series. It's Lent. Lent's a time we prepare for Easter, Uh, you know, we have, it's quite a preparation. Uh, I think uh, it's wise because for us to actually understand Jesus' life and his death and his, his resurrection and his life, I think takes a lifetime. So it's a considerable period of time. We're trying to be, wrap our mind around what Jesus has done for us. That's why it's so prolonged. Here at Third for Lent, what we're going to do is we are going to intentionally uncover what keeps us from life with Jesus. So if we're going to be people who can see, know, and love, we have to also find the things that are within us that would keep us from being able to see, know, and love. So what we're going to do in Lent is we're making small C confessions. We're finding the roadblocks, the barriers, the sinfulness, the brokenness within us. We're bringing it to Jesus, to the Father, so that on Easter, we can make a confession as to who he is. So we bring it to him, so we can understand what he did. That's what we're going to do in the Lent season here. But for today, um, I think my, my prayer is uh, it's actually based in Psalm 139. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, my prayer each week for us will be this. So the beginning of Psalm 139, it's on page 618. Uh, the psalmist David says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. So he acknowledges, Lord, you know me. You made me. You know me. The psalm concludes with him saying, so search me. Know me. So God knows everything. But at the end, he's agreeing with him. He said, I want you to search me. I want you to know me. I want you to show all these things within me that keep me from life with you, that keep me from loving you and loving others. Show me all of those things. I want to see them because I know you see them. Bring them to my attention so I can then share life with you. That's what we're trying to do in Lent. We're gonna to try to see these things. So we're gonna hang out in the upper room. Last Lent and post Lent, we spent 15 weeks in John's Gospel. We're gonna do it again this year. So for Lent, we're just gonna sit around the upper room. We're gonna sit with the disciples and Jesus. We're gonna look and see the different people who are there. And we're look at the things that are keeping them from understanding who Jesus is. Keeping them from understanding how to actually share life with him. And hopefully, as we bring those things to him, In confession, we actually feel free. You see, I I like this graphic for many reasons, but one of them is it kind of feels like an interrogation room. It's not meant to feel that way. A little bit, though. So we actually, that's what the psalmist is saying. I actually want you to interrogate me. I actually want you to show me everything. Convict me, change me, grow me. But I hope we come at it from kind of a, man, man, when we confess we are free sometimes we confess to people it's really messy we don't always receive confession very well but i think we'll see today you want to who receives confession very well it's the father the son and the spirit so i'm hopeful as this series goes on that we would willingly confess things to him because i think if we do you know, our mission statement, everyone, every day, helping one another experience life-giving freedom in Jesus. We cannot be everyone, everyday people who help one another experience freedom until we have experienced freedom. And it all starts with Jesus. So the passages that we read are very familiar. John 14, let's just start there really quick. And then we're going to go to a really familiar story, but I, I hope, I hope it's, you have some fresh eyes on it today. So I've had some fresh signs. I had a lot of fun reading about the prodigal son. So in John 14, actually, can you give me, um, give me slide six. So this is my sermon in a sentence. Confession is the way home. Confession is the way home. So Jesus says this to the disciples, you, you, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. And the disciples who have been with him for years say, uh, actually, we don't know where you're going. And they say, can you actually show us the way? And she says, no, I am the way. And his disciple says, well, then, uh, well, you know, actually, know yeah, right. We think you're a but could you show us the Father, actually? That'd be great if you showed us the Father. That would help me feel good about where we're going. And she says, don't you know, I and the Father are one. I say what he says. I do what he does. We are connected, Father, Son, and Spirit. We John 13 through 17, the circle of love, which we've talked a lot about, is all over. It's just, it's, it's just everywhere. They do everything together. So she says, Father and I are the same. Which made me think, what's a really good story about a really good father who welcomes his sons or his children has to do with confession? The prodigal son. Can you give me the, uh, the, a picture really quick? Slide eight. So I want to look at the story a little bit. But as I got into it, I've been doing some learning by a really wise man named Kenneth Bailey. And he, he, he came at this story from, he spent time in the Middle East. So he understands the context and the people in ways that I did not. And so I've had a lot of fun learning. But what I learned about this story is who I think it's about. It is about them, but it's not about them. And it kind of surprised me. So it is about the prodigal son, the son who left. But it's about something much greater than than even that son. And so just for a little context, Luke 15, verse 1, we learn who Jesus is telling this story to. Okay? Luke 151 says this now the tax collectors, it's on page 1035, if you want to go there. Now the tax collectors, those traitors and those sinners, those worthless people, were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So the tax collectors and the sinners are there, and they are listening. But that is not who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. So then he goes on to tell three parables. One's about a lost sheep. The next is about a lost coin. The next is about lost sons. Actually, I don't know if I have a slide for this or not. Do I? Yes, slide seven. So our lack of confession, of seeing what keeps us from Jesus, leads us to not seeing others, which cripples our ability to love, will their good, and it actually keeps those longing for Jesus from him. So I know that God is God, and God can do whatever he wants. God can call whoever he wants. God can act whatever way he wants, because he is God. But in this story... In this, these three stories, Jesus is saying, I can do those things, but guess what? I want you to help me. So he tells a story about a lost sheep. And who is the shepherd? It's Jesus. Who goes to get the sheep? It's Jesus. There's a lost coin. A woman loses a coin. So the woman's trying to find the coin. Who is the woman? It's Jesus. Jesus is finding the coin. He tells a story about lost sons. And Jesus welcomes the sons. Jesus is actually saying, you, Pharisees, you... Religious people, you who know all the rules, you are actually keeping people from me and it makes me really, really mad. You're supposed to help me find them. You're supposed to bring them to me, which we'll see in just a moment. You bring them to me. I change them, but you partner with me and you are not partnering with me. If you go to Matthew 23, Jesus has some choice words for these religious people who know all the rules, we're actually keeping people from coming to the temple, which is where the presence of God was. He says this then, chapter twenty-three. Uh, he says, "Woe to you, woe to you, religious people who got it all together! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Woe to you! You travel over land and sea to win converts, but when they do become one, they become twice the sons of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides!" You think the goal in the temple is super great. It's not. People are. Woe to you. You give your tithe, your spices, your mint, your dill, but you have neglected the more important matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you. You hear Jesus? Pharisees, you have a clean outside of the cup. You look great. You look so good, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you. Your whitewashed tombs, inside is dead bones. Woe to you. You think you're so smart. You read back in Scripture and you say, hey, if I lived back then, I would have got it right. I would have known they were prophets. I would have done, done the right things. He says, you are so proud. No, you would not have. You have done the exact same thing. So then we jump back into Luke's gospel, to this story. Jesus is almost again saying, whoa, to you. You see these people with me? They're supposed to be in the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? You are keeping them from me. And I am mad about it. Welcome to confession. So I've been asking myself, who am I keeping from Jesus by my words, by my actions, the way they use my time? Last week I said, to whom am I unintentionally withholding a blessing? Who am I unintentionally, by how I'm choosing to live, withholding Oh, Jesus, a person has said in this room for years, you are probably the only Bible many people will ever read. What are they reading? Who do they believe God is? Who is the father? Who is the son? Who is the spirit? So Jesus is talking to the people who were keeping the sheep and the coins and the prodigals from him. Jesus will go find them. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. He goes to get them. But he's saying, but I want you to help me. I want you to come with me. You should go find them and bring them back. So the prodigal son. Let's spend some time in this story. There's a dad. And he has two sons. Younger son says, dad, will you give me my my share of the estate? So the dad divides the property among them. That's important. Two sons both got their share of the estate. The younger son goes away. And it says here that we, we read some things into what we think the son did. And we read them into it because of what his brother says about him at the end. So the son gets his share of the estate, which actually in Deuteronomy is not breaking any laws. He's allowed to have his portion of the estate. What's happened, though, is that he has asked for it at a time in which he has broken the relationship with his dad. So he actually should get that part of the estate, but the way he went about it was wrong. But he takes his estate, he liquidates it quickly, and his taking of his estate impacts the whole community. Everybody feels the effects. Everyone is mad at the son. He leaves. And we think he is wild living. He's just spending. uh, His brother says that he had prostitutes. But in this doing some studying, we we are making assumptions about what the son did. In the Middle East, at this point in time, if you were to do this thing, the way to to develop reputation, the way to, to, to grow influence was to actually be really generous. So he probably went to a different place and started buying gifts for everybody. He wants to be important. So he left his father's house and he wants to go somewhere else and be really really important. So he's buying gifts for people, he's wasting his money on big banquets, he's inviting the most important people to his house cuz he wants to make a name for himself. But he squanders it cuz he doesn't have that much money and people don't actually he's not making any money. So, a famine hits. And he's got nothing. And so he glues himself to another person, another business owner perhaps, and says, can I, can I help you? And the person does not want him to be with them. So he says, actually, would you go out? You should go out and like take care of my pigs. So what he's doing is he's essentially saying, he's trying to think of the last thing he thinks this son would want to do. He's a Jew. He wouldn't want to touch pigs. I'm trying to get rid of him. But the son so badly does not want to go home that he says yes. So somebody who knows they're broken, who knows they're poor, so badly doesn't want to go home to his house that he's willing to do the last thing he would ever want to do. It just got me thinking, the son's dad is awesome. Right? The father and the son, how great is he? He gave him his estate. I mean, who is this dad? Why doesn't he want to go home? Because his brother lives there. And his brother now has ownership of the estate. So he'd have to go to his brother's house. He'd have to live under his brother's reign. And he would rather do the last thing he could possibly imagine, the worst thing he could imagine, than go home and be with his brother. Who is Jesus talking to again in Luke 15? He's talking to the Pharisees, the people from which the temple is home. And these people can't get home. They don't even want to be home because of the way that brother has made them feel. Isn't that wild? So the son comes up with a plan. Give me slide uh, nine. Our series is called Confession. In this story, I see three confessions. Although one, we're not sure how it goes. The son's first confession, it's very inauthentic. I think I know why. So verse 18, he decides, I'm, I have to go home. I have to go home. So here's his plan. He said, go say to his dad, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So, his plan is to go home. But if you're a hired man, where do you not live? In your brother's house. Where do you live? You live in town. Make me a hired man. What does that mean? He gets a trade. He can earn money. His plan is to earn his way back into his father's house. If I make enough money and pay back my debt, then maybe they'll have me back. It's a manipulative plan, right? It's a confession on his terms to get what he wants. He's not, right? But while he's a long way off, his father saw him filled with compassion. He ran to his son. Like I said at the beginning, the son thinks he's broken a law and the way back is to pay it back. What's happening in the temple in Jesus' day? Why did Jesus go throw tables? Because people are buying their way back. That's what the son thinks he has to do. Perhaps because the religious people of the day have created a system in which you earn your way back. You earn your way to heaven. You earn your, my love. So he's just taking his cues from, I think, from what's happening in his culture. Okay, I'll earn my way back. But he sees his his dad sees him. His dad runs, right? Probably the first time in 40 years his dad has ever run. There might be some people in this room who have not run for 40 years. So his dad, so the son has broken relationship with his dad, but the dad has never broken relationship with his son. So his dad humiliates himself. Kind of like Jesus does on the cross. And he runs. He actually beats the village out. Because in that day, he would have had to sit outside the village and wait for his dad and his brother to come and get him. His dad doesn't wait. His dad runs to receive him. Kisses him. Note the change in the son's confession. Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see what he dropped? There's no earning. He gets it. The difference between the two was that he got to experience the love of the Father. And he was so moved by that kind of love that his confession goes from one of manipulation to authentic because he's not worthy of being his son. He has disowned him, dishonored him. He's broken his relationship. He's squandered all of his money. He has totally screwed his father over. He isn't worthy to be his son yet. The father runs and he hugs him. He brings out what the robe, those are his clothes, the ringer, he's part of this house, kill the fattened calf, put shoes on his feet. He's not a slave. He is a son He is welcome back because he gave authentic confession. And also, in that moment, the son has to decide if he's going to receive that kind of forgiveness. One of the interesting things, as we've been talking about being a people of blessing, I've heard in a few different places, and I understand it. Uh, We like, it's hard, and it's challenging, but we would rather give a blessing than receive one someone says something to you, it's, it's kind of weird, right? It's kind of like generosity. I want to give money. Don't give me anything. So the son this moment has to decide, will I receive this gift? So can I just encourage everybody, as we grow in our ability to speak words of salt and light, of blessing, seeing, known, and love, you need to receive those words just as much as you want to give those words. Because the son can decide, will I be a slave or will I be a son? And I would say, we all struggle with that. I probably shouldn't speak in generalities. To actually receive that kind of forgiveness is so, that's why I Lent is so long. Jesus is crazy. The whole thing is bonkers. What? God? God? Became a person to live, like Jesus could insert himself in the story whenever he wanted. He could have been a grown-up, right? No, he chose to be a baby. He inserted himself fully into our story. That is just—that's nuts. In that day, that a God would want to be a person, no way. To then live a whole thirty years of I don't know what Jesus was doing. To then die for us—I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's nuts. So in that moment, the son gets to decide, will I receive that level of love, that level of forgiveness or not? And he does. He goes in the house and there's celebration. But who's Jesus talking to? The older brother became angry. The word older brother is actually elder, which is actually scribe. So Jesus has actually taken those Pharisees from the first story who are mad that Jesus is doing their job and he's inserting them right into the story. He's very pointed. You are the older brother. You are the older brother. You're keeping people. You're mad. So what does the father do? He humiliates himself again. What Jesus did for the prodigal, Jesus does for the Pharisee. That's what Jesus is like. So he stands up from the meal, humiliates himself in front of the whole community, and walks out to see this son. And the son won't even address him properly. He says, look. And that day, you didn't say, Father, you are dishonoring your father. He dishonors his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I have obeyed every single rule. You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate. Oh, I thought actually in verse C 12 that he divided the property among them. He already gave him his portion of the inheritance. He already gave him what he could give him. He was already generous with them, but he can't even see it. But when this son of yours, not a brother, one brother wanting to acknowledge the other is a brother. That son that screw up when that son of yours who I'm just reading in, squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the calf for him. How dare you welcome him? And the father, Jesus says, my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. And he is found. Does the older son change or not? We don't know. But what we do know is that after Jesus dies, there are some Pharisees who go to get his body and who bury him. So some heard and some changed. But what struck me as we are thinking about being a people of blessing, so the second half of our idea, one blessing a day, the other part is, one invitation. Looking for people to invite into life with us. Looking for opportunities to help them experience and know who Jesus is. And that is Jesus' conviction right here. Is that you're not looking. You're not inviting. You're not inviting, Clayton. You are too busy. Isn't this... I've been really convicted. And conviction's a good thing. Because what? I can't get over that I'm invited to partner with Jesus in what he's doing. I know me. And he says, no, I actually, I want you to help me. I want you to speak words of blessing. I want you to look for people. I want you to invite people. I want you to share salt and light. I want you to help me. Please help me. That's who we're supposed to be. Isn't that good news? That's really good news. That we get to, oh man, in a world we thought it's been anxious now is angry. We get to be people who are so loving and so kind. We get to find people in their deepest and darkest places and we get to walk alongside them. We get to share our grief and our sadness. We can share our highs and our lows to draw them to Jesus where they will be forever changed. On Easter morning, or Easter, I'm jumping ahead to a different message, but I'm excited right now. There's this scene where John, Jesus' disciple, runs, he's running to the tomb to see what, what is going on. And he looks in and he sees the tomb is empty. It's gone. Jesus isn't there. Where is he? He lived, he died, and everything clicks for him. And Jesus says later to a disciple, blessed are you, Thomas, I think it's Thomas, because you've seen and believe, but blessed are those who do not see and still believe. So it made me think, I don't get to see a tomb. I don't get to see him on a cross. I don't know what that would even be like. I don't see that. What do I get to see? What, what do I actually see in life? I get to see people, I get to see people who are changed, who've been transformed, who somehow in deep sadness walk alongside somebody, who have a, a perspective that just blows your mind. I get to see people who forgive, people who, who just go out of their way to do kind things for people, who go out of their way to draw out things in people. I see coaches in this room. I see people walking with people in this room who are going out of their way to love people. I get to watch that. To me, that, just saying that, that's like kind of like what John got to see. But you're my body and you're my people. Some guys in this room says all the time. We are the only Bible most people will ever read. We're it. Until we invite them into it. What are they seeing? What are they believing? We get to be those people. And that is good news. Right? Man. But it all begins with confession. So we're going to sit in this room, this upper room with these disciples. And it's all these things that, that are, they're not able to do it quite yet. Quite yet, they will. And they bring them we can bring those things to him. I'm not talking about like the symptoms, the small things. We're going to get into like the big ideas, these big buckets that if we could bring those things to Jesus. All the symptoms, all the little things that we do every day will just change because that's what Jesus tells He changes us in a way that no one else can. So I'm really excited about this series. Can you give me the picture of the prodigal son one more time? It says last week, we find ourselves in this picture every day. I think. We can be a son who needs to receive and we need it every day. We can act like Jesus and we can be people who bless, who see, who know, who love, who welcome every day. When we do that, Jesus changes people. We don't don't change them. We partner with him. He doesn't. Or we can be the brother who's just mad that screw-ups here again. Mad they're wasting my time. I know this is hard work. But we can do it. So I'm going to invite the band up. final two songs, just you know. We're giving a little extra time at the end of services right now. All the poor and the powerless get to come to the Father. It's a new song. And this final song, it's just fun. When you get received by Jesus, or people who are like Jesus, it is so fun. It is so freeing. It is so good. So while confession seems like, oh. Oh, but if we do it, if we confess to him, we experience a freedom like we cannot even comprehend or understand. So, we serve communion every week. You can receive communion. And we thought, you know, if we could be a people who, someone says to me, a wise person, if you can confess with your lips, if you're willing to say it, You wanna get it out. You wanna get rid of it. You know. And so as we receive communion, we start the service with one word. There's a reason for that. When you receive the body, when you receive the blood, you could offer a one word confession to the elders and deacons. And they will bless you with this blessing. May the Father grant you peace and forgiveness. May the sun shine light in the dark places. May the spirit empower and strengthen. May our triune God grant you peace. So that's our invitation. So as we worship, we're getting a little extra time. Or if you want to sit in your seat and confess, you know, we all have something to share. Amen? So do not, if you feel led, there is no shame and there is no judgment here. None. We should all be in line. Whether we all respond or not, I don't know. But if you feel you're being pulled to come forward, to to give that up, that big thing, one word, would you come forward? Let me pray before you worship. You are the God of of the poor and the powerless. Actually in our weakness is where we know your strength. So God, we just ask you to be present. We know you are present. Uh, We pray that uh, we would uh, grant you access to our hearts, to our persons, to our past, our present, our future. And that we would just be willing and open to whatever it is you wanna do. Because we are so glad that you were gone and we're not.